Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Blog Talk Radio. What's up, Rams fans? Welcome to a special holiday weekend edition of Turf Show Radio. 3K, did you have a good Thanksgiving? I did, man. I did have a good Thanksgiving. I fried up some turkey. I fried up some duck. I fried up some uh, buffalo. I fried up some chicken liver. And then uh, just to get crazy, I fried up some head cheese. So, you know, nice, healthy Thanksgiving, not too much meat. It was a pretty standard Thanksgiving. Man, when head cheese is standard Thanksgiving, that is a good Thanksgiving, let me tell you. Do you get some blood sausage in the mix? It's a, I it's didn't. A, I didn't do any blood sausage. I thought about doing some boudin, but I ended up not doing anything. We just went straight at it. So good and healthy. Uh, We're trying to live healthy this year. Well, I understand. I understand. And what better way to live healthy than a meat fryer? That's right. <laughs> I. You know, it's good. It's good. And um, you know, Thanksgiving's always a nice. I, I'm telling you, the eating thing by far. Now that I'm too old to care about toys and shit anymore. Way, way more favorite, way more enjoyable holiday than Christmas. Always has if been. If you put food and never, alcohol I've never in been mix, big on Christmas. No. Take the presents away. Just give me food and alcohol. I'm a happy camper. Food, alcohol, and football, 3K. Let me add that into the mix. That's a, that's a hell of a triple crown. That is the holy trinity of fall holidays right there. Yes. yes. Um, 3K? It's been, you know, uh, we've we've gone a we've gone a little bit over our usual week betwixt turf show radio. Um, anything on 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 top of your mind right now? Um, you got your video camera out today? Yeah, I, I'm not playing the same uh, the same cards that I guess you know the Bronco staff was a couple couple days ago, maybe a week ago, but you know it. It's hard to really look back at this past week and pull a lot out of it just because that Atlanta game, it was the cards were stacked against us. And like I said at the time, I was happy with the way we played and competed, at least for the first three quarters. Um, it's just it's one of those signs of where you are as a team, and we're just not on that level yet, and it sucks because you want to be. There's so much positives, you know, both on the Rams and that things that portend for our future for, to be a successful franchise and get some postseason activity, even some postseason wins. But when you're dealing with a team like Atlanta that's already there, has so much poise, can do so many things both on and off the ball and off the yeah. defense, it's hard to see how you get a win against those teams. You just got to get really lucky. Um, and we just we weren't able to get a whole lot of lucky bounces. And you credit a guy like Matt Ryan for operating offense as efficiently and as uh, effectively as he did. You know, no turnovers. They did the right things at the right time. They kept it simple. And that's a sign of a really good team. So. You know, yeah, it, it sucks to have to come out of there with a loss, especially at home. But it is what it is. It was, and you know, the score really wasn't kind of. I didn't think. I said this on the side a couple times this week. I didn't. You know, the final score looks a little more lopsided than the game really was for the most part. You know, and like I said, you know, you you take those first three quarters, and and of course, a good team like Atlanta, the thing is, is they'll pull away and they'll put it away when they need to put it away, and that's the difference between a good team and a competitive team in the NFL today, and that's what you saw with Atlanta. But, you know, that said, I think the Rams played well. 
the offense was a little better than than we had seen before. I, I don't totally understand the the lack of the lack of carries for Steven Jackson, but you know, when you're kinda of playing from behind I, I get that a little bit. Um you know, the inability to get a three man to, to get a pass rush going at all, and not for lack of trying, but they just couldn't get it going. Atlanta was good. The Atlanta can hold that off and you know, they hung in there despite a lack of pass rush. I, and that's something I hope that this week we see a Spagnolio McDaniels rematch. Heavy, heavy handed on the heavy on the pass rush. Um but you know, it's like you said, looking back, I, you know, it was good I think the media reaction um with Spagnolio following the Atlanta game. Um, you know, you, you, I, I think you know, we've talked about it before. Sometimes the fans and, and the media come away a little perplexed, a little frustrated when you know the Rams are losing these one and two point one and two point games to to teams they ought to be beaten, and 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 you hear kind of thing. Well, I thought they played well. They had a good game. It's tough, but we all lost. But we got to put it behind us and move on. Blah blah blah. And then this week it was a little different tone, didn't you think? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's just a different understanding of who we're playing against. I mean. Even the fact that the score was 17-16 well through the third, into the end of that third quarter when, uh, you know, Atlanta really started getting clicking. But you could tell, you know, there was no pass rush from the four-man. And not only that, but when we tried to blitz, they handled the blitz as well. It it was just, you know, a group of personnel in a system that is run so effectively in Atlanta that it's really hard for us to break that down without more talent. Um, you know, it's really hard to say anything that St. Louis could have done. I mean, even when you brought up Steven Jackson and the carries, it's not like Sam Bradford was doing anything until that interception at the end, you know, the shuffle pass on the goal line. He was operating a hell of an offense that almost mirrored what Matt Ryan was doing. They both ended up with two touchdowns. They both ended up with more than 225 yards. Ryan ended up getting over 250, and I think Bradford was like 220 or something. But it's yeah. not like, you know, Bradford was having a poor game. They were more or less playing the same kind of style. It was a dink and dunk game. They had Roddy White going for more yards than we could get out of our wide receivers, and that's when you get when you have a more talented wide receiver. Uh, Michael Turner ended up getting over 130 yards, but it took him, you know, 26, 27, 28 rushes. I forget what he finished with. Um, but, I mean, that's the strength of their offensive line. When you can't get that third down and one that we couldn't get, that just tells you where you're at as a team. It, it's not like you're doing it against, you know, an Arizona, an Oakland, Tampa Bay, San Francisco, teams that we've lost. When you bring up those questions, like you said, what? It, why can't we get it done? There's an answer for this team. It's because they're a better team. Um, and, and to me, it really is that simple. It's unfortunate, but the thing is, it, it tastes a lot better than some of those other uh, you know, those other losses. But like you said, the media reaction is different. Brian Burwell had a piece up this morning, and the title of it is simple, Time to Find Answers About Rams. You're not going to get a lot of answers out of the Atlanta game. You're going to get an answer out of this Denver game today. Yeah, absolutely. And this is a team that it's it's a, it's, it matches up pretty well with the Rams' strength, especially on the, the, the Rams' offense. You know, the, the, they have the 31st-ranked passing defense in the in the league right now. Um they don't have – they're lacking enough personnel to run a nickel package. I read in the paper this week. Um, that's a good sign, certainly, for the Rams because, you know, we've seen a lot more three and four wide receiver sets this season as Bradford's matured a little bit. Um, and, and certainly, you know, more in recent weeks, I think we've seen that. Um, they also, you know, their run defense is okay. It's not great. It's probably on the negative side of the ledger for them. So that's another uh, – you know, this is a good this is a good opportunity for the Rams' offense to capitalize and 
and win a game and, and, and put together some successful drives and get that finally get that coveted, much needed road victory. Yeah, to, we really got to get try to get that off our back today. It's going to be tough. And here's the thing about Denver. They'll throw a lot of pass defense packages that we haven't seen. They'll throw a lot of guys three cornerbacks, three safeties at times. They'll put a lot of guys back there because they they have so much talent in terms of the, the passing defense that they just don't have in the run defense. And they'll just flood the box with those kind of guys and bring them up top. Um, it, it, it's going to – it's going to lean a lot on the offensive line and what they can make for Steven Jackson. Cause like you said, the run defense isn't there. Part of that is like I said, the packages, the sub packages they put in, it's going to be a tough battle because if you're not getting Steven Jackson, the holes he needs and the yardage that he's going to need to eat up the time that he's going to need to eat up, you're going to put a lot of pressure on Sam Bradford in a passing unit that is obviously bereft of talent to the point that they're going to be able to get it done. And that's saying nothing about what the weather conditions might end up looking like. Yeah, Absolutely. And, and, you know, there's the altitude factor at play, too. And I don't know. Sure. Let me – 3K, you're a physical fitness guy. You understand this stuff a little bit. Um, let me ask you something. Last week, second week in a row, O.J. Otagwe was out of the game a little bit late in the, late in the game with some cramping. Um, and I know it's just because, obviously, with the secondary, you're running constantly, running constantly, running every play – Otagwe's out there running, running, hustling, hustling. Um, but, you know, Bartell went out. King went out with cramping, too. That's uh, And you know what happened? The Rams get burned when those guys go out of there because Bartell obviously sure. is our top cover corner, our top cornerback, period. When they don't have Otagwe in the backfield, they really lack good coverage guys at safety. Um, it's a uh, – I guess I look at that and I wonder what's going on because, I mean, I know – and I'm, like I said, I'm not questioning these guys' work ethic. I have no questions about that. Um, I, I guess what bothers me is why, why are some of our top defenders having to leave late in the game? And then this week you throw in the mix the altitude factor. Now I think obviously when you're in kind of physical fitness, the altitude is less of a factor than you know people really make it out to be. But um, I don't know. What, what do you think about that, 3K? What's going on here? Well, I think part of the issue with the cramping was a uh, time of possession. You know, Atlanta was just tearing up the ball and doing things over and over and over and over. And, and part of it's conditioning and, you know, obviously hydration. you got to stay hydrated. But that's not – I mean, when you talk about the NFL, they've got they, – they don't even think about water. The kinds of concoctions that they're feeding these guys on the sideline make water look like, you know, something out of the 13th century. So I don't think it's a hydration issue. I think part of it is just that's what happens when you're forced, when you're facing the kind of dink and dunk offense that I think Pat Shermer wants to be able to run with us. You know, one that's picking up first downs, that's eating clock, that's wearing down defenses, not only defensive line, but as you you know, like the injuries obviously point out, the secondary and all that forces the you know the defense to do is respond by doing what we had to do, putting a guy like Jerome Murphy on Roddy White, and I think we all saw how well that worked out. Um, yeah, uh, that's that's the kind of thing you do with those kind of offenses. You just constantly wear them down, wear them down, wear them down, and then eventually you wear them down to the point that you win. Um, in terms of how, how the altitude is going to affect us, it's going to be interesting to see. If anything, it's going to affect you early as opposed to late. You know, it, it's about cardiovascular fitness and the kind of conditioning it takes to overcome the early issues with breathing. Um, but that's part of the warm-up. It's part of getting up there earlier in the week. And, and preparing your, you know, your blood system and your cardiovascular system as a whole to be able to accept that change and ha- how the uh, the altitude is going to affect your body overall. I, I don't think it'll be a huge issue. I mean, 
Denver plays eight home games. There are plenty of teams that go up there, and it doesn't make a huge difference. I just think you have to be prepared for it, and, and I'd be surprised if the Rams aren't, and it becomes an issue. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and that's a, it's a, you know, it's fun to have a little story about an oxygen tent and players sleeping in an oxygen yeah. tent. But the reality of it is, it's just kind of, you know, it's a, it's just another condition you got to play through. And bottom line, you got to be prepared for. You know, the schedule's been out for a while now, so it's not a surprise that. They're going to be playing 6,000 feet above sea level. So you got to be ready for that stuff, and hopefully they will be. You know, the reason I I also ask about the the cramping thing is a little bit, you know, there had been kind of some rumblings here and there, mostly below the radar, that, you know, with some of the hamstring issues the Rams had been dealing with up through kind of the middle part of the season, that maybe, um, you know, maybe some of the practices were just a little too intense. But... You know, you say that, and from this vantage point, obviously, it's a whole different matter, but you say that and you wonder about it, but then at the same time you wonder, it's like, well, you know, this is a team that needs to practice. This is a team that is not as good as a lot of other teams in the NFL. So, you know, every extra ounce they can squeeze out of it, then by all means do so. But, you know, I don't know. That's always kind of a debate you hear in the season with coaches. It's a good Sunday morning talk show kind of thing, but uh, I – you know, I don't know. 3K, what do you think about that? Well, it's, you know, like so many other things, the grass is always greener. If you end up, you know, going too light, you, you end up maybe, you know, going and, and dealing with what Wade Phillips had to deal with in Dallas. They go too yeah. light, and then you say, oh, this team doesn't have the killer instinct. You haven't prepared them. You haven't, you know, had them going pad to pad in practice. You haven't really pushed them throughout the week. If you go the opposite side, then you've got, you know, you can say, oh, coach, you've been pushing them too hard. That's why they're injuries. That's why they're tired. That's why the team isn't really behind you because they think you, you know, as more of the disciplinarian, the authoritarian instead of being, you know, the player's coach, whatever that cliche is supposed to mean. Um, yeah. I, I don't think there's any. I don't think there's any one way to do it. I, I think the key is to get the players to buy into your persona. You can't do it halfway, half of the time. You've got to be able to say whether you're Jeff Fisher or Mike Shanahan on one side, or if you're like Josh McDaniels on the other side, and you want, you know, you, you're kind of the player's coach. You know, again to bring up that cliche, as hackneyed as it is. Those kind of guys, they don't do it halfway half the time. They are who they are. They accept that, and they, all you have to do is get your players to accept that. Once you're at that point, it's almost regardless. It's almost, it, it doesn't really make a huge difference which kind of style you use in practice. The key for me is, especially for Spagnuolo going into next season, which is going to be his key season, we've seen two different kinds of preseason practices. You know, two years ago he was going hard. This year he kind of backed off. It's going to be interesting to see through the end of this season, as because everybody knows going into the next season, whether you're talking fantasy-wise, Sam Bradford's going to be a huge sleeper. As a team, people are going to start hopping on us to win the NFC West. It's going to happen. It's going to be interesting to see what kind of a caricature that Steve Spagnuolo wants to craft for himself over these last couple of weeks. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And it'll be interesting finish to the – I think how the Rams finish this season is going to have a lot – to say about, you know, how they start approaching next season and, and, and the identity and the makeup of this team, uh, uh, you know, above and beyond that. I know the road losses have been hard to tolerate so far, but I think if they can kind of pick up, and I'm, you know, to quote Jim Moore, a playoff, but it's a, you know, just, just if they if we get a strong finish to the season, they get over that hump on the road, and, and you know, really the, the crown jewel would be, playoffs or not, the crown jewel would be a win at Seattle to finish the season. 
Um, I think that's going to have a lot of say on, you know, generating some fan excitement heading into next season, kind of how the, the team and players approach the off season and how the front office looks at the draft and free agency, you know, knowing that, okay, this is a team that is a competitor this year. This is this is this is a big year for the for the Rams, and that'll be a it'll be interesting to see. It's, it's I think the second half of the season with the tougher schedule, it's going to be a lot more interesting even than the first half of the season for the Rams. Yeah, and it offers you the opportunity to check some boxes that you don't necessarily have to check. You look at other teams around the league, guys like Jacksonville, Cleveland, even Tampa Bay. Those teams weren't exactly good teams last year or even to start out this year, but you build on the things you did at the pre- at the end of the previous season to get things going in the next season, and that's where you start building as a, as a, as a new team, as a team that's coming out of the bottom of the league. And, and that's, yeah. I mean, let's be honest, that's where the Rams are coming out of. You're not going to say, hey, we were 1-15 last year, let's continue to build on that. that. That doesn't offer you anything. But you can go back after this season and say, let's be real about it. Sam Bradford's going to be better. He did a lot of great things. we still got Steven Jackson. we still got a lot of talent on the defense that is obviously being able to limit teams in terms of points per game, that's able to keep the deep ball from being successful against almost anybody we play. There's going to be a lot of things to build on. The key is to maintain those throughout the end of the season and have those younger core guys improve, guys like Chris Long, James Laurinaitis, Bradley Fletcher, and, of course, Sam Bradford. But even to a degree, it's going to be those guys that Bradford's throwing to. We've all – I mean – that may be the what the most popular topic of turf show times, you know, in terms of the entire season. Is what are the wide receivers going to look like for next year? There was a comment already uh, in the open thread from JT Pirate asking, "Is it a given that Clayton or Avery will be in a Rams jersey next year?" I, I don't know. I don't know what wide receivers could possibly be in a Rams jersey next year outside of maybe Amon Dolan Gilliard. I don't know if anybody's safe, and, and that's really the key is to see who Bradford is almost going to create that relationship with that you can carry over to the next season. What, what do you think about the wide receivers? Well, I, I was just going to bring that up because I think that's one reason. I know there's some frustration with, you know, where's Gilliard, where's Gilliard, where's Gilliard. But, you know, he's a rookie, he's inexperienced, and you've got to play. You know, he's blocked right now by Brandon Gibson and Laurent Robinson. Well, the Rams, you know, Robinson's obviously the most senior member of the receiving core now. Um, but, you know, the, the Rams have to go with those guys, A, because of the experience factor. But B, you know, they have to know who they have in these guys. I can't imagine, and in fact, 3K, I will be, I will bet my mortgage because I would be more than willing for somebody to take those payments away. But I will bet my mortgage that all four of Gibson, Robinson, Avery, and Clayton will not be in a Rams uniform in week one next year. I just yeah, think I there's mean, two – I mean – you're, yes, they need receiving talent, so they've got to, you know, they've got either via the draft and or free agency they've got to bring in another guy, bring in another top receiver, um, and then beyond that, then you just kind of start to get a traffic jam at positions. I mean, one reason you're not seeing Gilliard play very much is because he plays the same positions that Robinson and and Gibson play. So, you know, you got to get these guys going, and it's you're starting to see that with Gibson. Gibson's playing a lot stronger than he has been. These last few weeks he's playing a lot stronger I mean um, You know Robinson came on a little bit against Atlanta Finally had a, you know, a little bit better game A little more in line With the expectations he set for himself In a very limited Limited debut last year um, you see, and, and even with Clayton and Avery Those are guys that are kind of the same 
I mean, they kind of play the same role. You know what I mean? Um, not to say that you couldn't have both on the team, but you know, Clayton was brought in as a replacement to Donnie Avery, not as a compliment to Donnie Avery. Remember, Donnie Avery was gone, done for the season when the Rams went out, and that's the reason they went out and got Mark Clayton. I, so, I, you know, I, I, you know, something's got to give there, and, and I just don't think you'll see all those guys in the house and still those back of the rotation types, like, you know, rookies and experienced rookies like a Gilliard and, and some of those fellas. I, you know, I don't know. I could be wrong. I mean, those could be the guys that, you know, make up if you've got seven receivers on the roster. Now, those could be positions five, six, and seven, but, you know, I, we'll see. And the Rams have some young some young guys. I think they're going to like Denarian Alexander. Gilead, Marty Gilliard, I mean, those are guys that they've invested in and they, you know, are probably worth keeping around next year. So they can kind of start learning the ropes and then start getting into the swing of things by their third and fourth seasons in the league. Yeah, I mean, you look at, if you're trying to predict what the big storyline going through training camp and the whole build-up through the offseason into, you know, the preseason next year, obviously whoever we take in those first two picks is going to draw some media scrutiny regardless of whatever position they play. But the wide receiving core as a whole has to be probably the number one theme, knowing that Bradford is going to be in a position to put us, if not at the top of the NFC West, then directly, you know, right underneath the the certainty of being able to win. The question is going to be who's going to be able to do it for him. When people talk about Marty Gilliard, you know, not being able to to get it done immediately as soon as he comes to the NFL, look at somebody who's, you know, the fan favorite out of the wide receiving core, Danny Amendola, spent his entire first season on the practice squad with the Cowboys. Mm -hmm. Comes to the Rams, and everybody's like, why are we picking up these scrubs that are coming off of hard knocks just because they've got a little bit of fame, you know, from HBO. And he goes out and has his, you know, 14 games. He caught about 40 passes, had a solid season. You know, he contributed, had a touchdown. Now already through his, you know, these first ten games, I think he's got at least sixty catches. He's been in the end zone three times. He's obviously a much more consistent and much more, you know, notable contributor to the offense. Some guys are going to take some time to coach. It's not going to happen from year one. Yeah. Vincent Jackson wasn't a star in year one. Roddy White wasn't a star in year one. Yeah, for a lot of wide receivers that aren't just built on pure talent, a lot of your non-first round wide receivers, it's going to take them some time to get there. That's not a bad thing. I don't think it's a condemnation of Marty Gilliard as a receiver. I think it just says something about how serious the Rams are about putting people, especially their wide receivers, in a position to do the right things. You could almost say the same thing about Denario Alexander. You know, I, I obviously there's going to be huge Mizzou contingent that is asking to see maybe the most overall talented wide receiver we have on the team to get him out on the field. And as soon as you do what happens, he gets that touchdown, you say, that's what we've been waiting for. But the truth is he's just not there yet physically. He may have the talents to do it, but he hasn't had the repetitions, the understanding of the team, and obviously his physical consistency isn't there. It's one of those things that we're going to have to deal with. The question, I guess, to me is not only personnel, who do we keep, but who do you want to bring in? Do you want to bring in another guy like Clayton, a veteran who has some experience that can learn the playbook fast enough? Do you want to try to target those wide receivers at the top of the draft? You know, I, I went out and said it. I don't think we need to go and get a wide receiver in the first two rounds. If we do, somebody like Julio Jones is who I'd like to see us get, somebody that does something more intermediate than deep threat, more consistency than home run hitter. You know, that that seems to be where this offense yeah. is going and how Sam Bradford feels comfortable. Um, and, and that's why he was going at Mark Clayton. That's why he continues to go at Amendola. And, and that may be the hesitancy in going to guys like Ron Robinson and Brandon Gibson because they just don't have the consistency to do it play in, play out. 
that that's going to be more interesting to me in terms of how we deal with the personnel. Because if you don't bring anybody in, well, you just you more or less got to bring everybody back. Um, you know, it, it depends on where you want to make that switch in terms of of upgrading specific type of roles in this wide receiver core. It's going to be interesting to see how it works out today in Denver, though. That's that's for sure. It is. Michelle, we got to get something done in the passing game today. Yeah, we absolutely have to, 3K. And, you know, another you know, another need that we've talked about here many, many times and on the side as well, but with the receiver, is maybe it's just a guy that, you know, who's got the hands and the body to make the tough catches. I mean, that's, you know, the difference between a lot of our wide receivers right now, a guy that can kind of get some separation from corners and a guy that can get the jump ball. You know what I mean? And I think that's – and that doesn't necessarily mean you need a Larry Fitzgerald. That means you just need – you know, a guy that that's his skill set. Um, you know, Vincent Jackson's kind of that guy. I mean, obviously he kind of profiles more as that number one receiver, but, I, you know, I, I just think you're, you're building a compliment. I was just looking online here, and you go back and look at – I don't like to compare too much, but I think it's a fairly apt comparison. But you look at Philadelphia under Andy Reid, and until they drafted Deshaun Jackson, what was that? The same it was the same year Donnie Avery. Um, right. 08? 08. 08. Until they drafted Deshaun Jackson, and then you had the two years of kind of the failed T.O. experiment, Mm -hmm. they never had, that's a team that never had any kind of quote-unquote number one wide receiver. I mean, when Randall Pinkston is is your receiving leader two years in a row before they get Terrell Owens, and those were winning teams. I mean, that was a... That was a twelve and four Philadelphia. That was an eleven and five and a twelve and four Philadelphia team when you had a when you had Randall Pinkston as your leading wide receiver. Now obviously they had Brian Westbrook and Donovan McNabb, but you know it's going to be. I, I think you've seen a similar pattern with the Rams here, and so I don't think just because they need some help at receiver this year, I just don't think that you're going to go out and get the number one free agent or the number one, you know, trade trade the farm to move up far enough in the draft to get A.J. Green. Well, so, uh, you know, well, probably, I know there's going to be some disappointment with that, but I think that's sure. kind of what you're going to see here. Well, I think part of the problem is that everybody wants to see the highlights and the stats out of a wide receiver, but but the understanding of a wide receiving core is obviously a lot of times pushed to the side because it seems like you've always got one or two guys that are getting it done. <laughs> When, when really it's a more comprehensive effort. Look at a team like the Patriots. Even without Moss, even pre-Moss, who was their number one wide receiver? It, 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 there's really not an answer. The answer is they spread the ball out to everybody. Pittsburgh, with mm-hmm. or without Santonio Holmes, is still able to get it done by operating with Heinz Ward, Mike Wallace, Keith Miller at the tight end, running backs out of the backfield. As long as you spread the ball out, you can do things that you don't necessarily need to do with a number one wide receiver. New Orleans, Marcus Colson's had some nice games as of late, but those first six games, I mean, they they only lost two. They were four and two, but they're spreading the ball out to Robert Meacham, Mm -hmm. Jeffrey Henderson, and that was without Reggie Bush. As long as you can spread the ball out, which Bradford seems keen on doing, and obviously the offense that Shermer's engineered, it seems like that's more of the modus operandi in terms of finding different people to spread out the field and keep defenses away from keying on one guy, whether it's, you know, you look at teams like Houston and Andre Johnson. Yeah, they're able to get some yards, but how is that working out for the overall team? They're just not getting it done. Indianapolis with Peyton Manning, as long as the system yeah. works, he can pat, he can <clears throat> spread it around the field. He doesn't need that number one guy. I think I think one of the other things that's going to be interesting to me is, 
in terms of managing this and, and, and trying to figure out what roles you need is going to be the emergence of tight ends. We saw Huomana Wanui doing some things last week that we've been waiting for for a long time. Ronabun yeah. is still a wild card. He's a dark horse. If he can come out and capitalize on that athleticism, it almost brings away some of the need to, to bring in somebody who has a similar skill set because he'll have a year under the system. He'll have the tutelage that comes with, you know, Bradford, Dick Curl, the quarterback's coach, Cromwell, everybody that's going in to, to bring in this team together. It's going to be interesting to see how those tight ends emerge because, you know, let's be honest, Billy Bajima, Daniel Fells, in two years from now, I don't know how they fit into this team, but guys like Holman and Wanui and uh, Anabun could be there for the taking. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, another thing, too, you want you, – you, and this is where you have to start factoring in, you know, uh, the other big need they have on offense, and that's bringing in another running back, not to replace Steven Jackson, but to back him up, be kind of that complementary player that they need. And there's another guy sure. that you're going to see – I mean, then I think if you do that, then you you start to see Jackson a lot more as a receiver than just a between the tackles running back. Or you know maybe it's vice versa. I mean maybe the guy they bring in is the you know Dexter McCluster prototype or something like Darren Sproles kind of. You know they looked at Sproles this off season before San Diego made a move to keep him in house. So that right. was a you know there's a, there's some more thinking as to kind of what they might be you know looking for in another running back, and that's a guy that's going to make a difference in the passing offense too. Ideally, of and, I would think it would. Yeah, and even to add to the the point that you made about San Diego, even though they wanted to keep Sproles, they still went out and drafted Ryan Matthews. You know, they let Ladainian uh-huh. Thomason go, but they still recognize that you need to have that kind of depth at the running back position to give it different looks. We just don't have that right now. And even, you know, LT who went to the Jets, you got Ladainian Thomason, but they still got Sean Green. They let yeah, Thomas Jones right. go to Kansas City, but you got Thomas Jones and Jamal Charles and Dexter McCluster. Well, so. I just don't think there's a lot of there's a lot of drawback to bringing in a complimentary guy to Steven Jackson that you can implement into the passing game as well. No, and let me tell you something. This is kind of what I you know just thinking about this a lot lately. The difference between defensive lines now in the NFL, for the most part, I mean you're, you're, you've got your outliers. I think on especially at the low end of the spectrum, more so than the high end of the spectrum. But defensive lines and offensive lines have gotten so much better in the NFL in recent years. Sure. That's not to say that offensive lines and defensive lines of the past were bad, but you know the scope and sequence of players you've, and personnel you've got in those units now are much on much more equal footing than they they used to be. Yeah, you used to have like in Kansas City, I was looking something there with them today because forgot because anywhere outside of Metro St. Louis in the state of Missouri is Chiefs country. I hate <laughs> to say it, it's a terrible, terrible, terrible fate we suffer outside of the bounds of the metro area. But anyway, I was reading something about Willie Rofe in there today. And, you know, for years the Chiefs had Willie Rofe, who was an amazing offensive lineman. But, you know, the rest of their offensive line at times was not as good. So I, but you've got much better players, much more powerful, much more stronger, much better players in those units, and really all across the field, but especially in the trenches, because teams have made such an effort over the last, you know, decade and a half or so to improve those units, the importance of those, both those units, that it's just too much now for backs, I think, because of the physical nature of the game and because of the, the kinds of players. I, it's too much for running backs to be that 350-carry guy anymore, 300-carry guy anymore between the tackles. You're shaving off 
career years faster that way than you ever used to, I think. You're shaving off. Um, you're just making it harder and harder to do because that yardage is so hard to get in the trenches now, and it's so tough to come by. It's just, you know, you have to go with more than one running back today. It doesn't matter how talented of a guy you have. And, and you know, for instance, Steven Jackson, you got to go with another running back because it's the only way that you can do – you know, save the guys you have and differentiate your offense enough to get around some of those limitations that, you know, have resulted over years of improved, improved dra- better drafting and better, you know, personnel and roster management. Now, that's a little more philosophy than we usually get in here on TSR, but that's just just something that came to mind the other day. Yeah, no, I... You know, I gotta agree. I think one of the things that we're seeing is a change in how the league approaches defensive tackles. Before, you know, you could line up any defensive tackle that was over 325, 330 pounds at defensive tackle and be relatively pleased with how the personnel looked. A guy like Terrence Cody, who went to Baltimore, that's the kind of guy that people used to look for, the big bodies. Now, because the you know the emergence of a three four and the change in the nose tackle position in that defense, but also the kinds of agility players that you've had in four threes, guys like Warren Sapp, guys like Albert Hainsworth, mm-hmm. and obviously now guys like Damian Sue, who are able to change the way the position is played, not only with enough weight to deal with interior offensive linemen, but enough agility to get things done around them and towards the ball carrier, it's really changing the way the defensive line manages plays. It's not just like that third and one against Atlanta, where you're looking for the big guys to get underneath the offensive linemen and just stuff the entire play. Now you're asking them to do more and get outside their guy and make plays outside of that. It's getting very hard for running backs who aren't specific speed guys. You know, your quick burners, a Javid Best type. And, you know, when you talk mm-hmm. about this upcoming draft, guys like Noel Devine, LaMichael James, Shane Vereen out of Cal, those guys obviously have the speed to do things on the outside corner. But your workhorse backs, those kind of guys that you're talking about that used to get that many carries, guys like Eric Dickerson, who I interviewed, obviously, that we threw up this week, it's getting yeah. very hard for those guys to get the numbers when you're forcing them to go at defenders and at defensive tackles that they used to just avoid. It's getting tough for them. Yeah, absolutely. And then, too, you know, another thing, look at the, how much better linebackers are today. Obviously, with the predominance of the 3-4, you've got outside linebackers now that are just, you know, they're incredibly – I mean, I wish there was some data somewhere on that, but you I mean look at how much faster – and and more athletic and tougher even linebackers are, outside linebackers are today than they used to be. Middle linebackers, too. I mean, you look at, me, you put, you look at some of the middle linebackers in those three, four sets, and you've got, I mean, you've got guys that are, you know, superstars anywhere else. But, you know, because they're in three, four and they don't get those sexy sack numbers, they kind of go unheralded and unknown. But, you know, look yeah. at the guy, uh, Brandon Spikes. I mean, not Brandon Is that who I'm thinking of for New England? I'm not sure. Brandon Spike. I was thinking Patrick Willis out of the Niners, man. Yeah, exactly. Exact. Perfect example. But I mean, it's a, it's a good point that, that linebackers have become so different because they've gotten so much faster. When you when you watch tape of old guys like Jack Lambert or you know uh, Dick Butkus, guys that are coming out of the middle of the field, they seem so much slower compared to the the linebackers of today. And yet, a lot of the linebackers today haven't haven't you know sacrificed any any size. When you look at a guy like Ray Lewis, who does what he does, and I know that's an anomaly and he's a Hall of Famer, but to see a guy that big move as fast as he does, it, it worries me. It worries me about how capable people are going to get, 
you know, how capable linebackers could possibly be in the NFL. And yet Brandon Spikes is on the Patriots. You know, I forgot where he had gone. And he's had some up and down points this season. I remember that Baltimore game. He had a, and he had a huge game against Baltimore. That was a, I don't remember when that was. It was a couple of weeks ago. It was probably more than a month ago. Um, but he's yeah. a big guy. He's six. He's like six two, two hundred forty five, and he moves incredibly well. He's not as fast as a lot of linebackers, but he plays with as much tenacity as they did back in the old days. And I guarantee he moves faster. Well, I mean, look at James Laurinaitis too. I mean, there's you know classic sure. example. Now he's, you know, fits the profile of what you expect of a middle line, a middle linebacker in a four three defense to be. But it's just a, it's a, it's a perfect example of how much better rosters are today in the NFL. Even without, you know, you've always got your superstars, but, you know, you take away the superstars, how much better, you know, your your other starters and your other role players are in the game. I mean, it's amazing. And that brings up another topic that, uh, you know, both has to do with the draft and obviously today's game against the Broncos. That's outside linebacker. What, what is left for us to understand about this outside linebacker court, man? Where where do we go through the rest of the season knowing that we have a deficient group of outside linebackers that we've got to both mask and take away from the obvious advantage that's going to give opposing offenses, but at the same time try to capitalize on whatever whatever things we do have that guys like Nile Diggs, uh, Larry Grant, whatever they can do to make sure they're making the most of those tools. Where do we go from here? Man, 3K, I, that might be this. That's the sixty-five thousand dollar question because I think if you could answer that accurately and precisely, you could be the Rams' defensive coordinator. You know, really, Probably. I don't know. I mean, Chris Chamberlain was in the game last week, who's supposed to be a much better coverage. I mean, he's their nickel linebacker. Um, you know, we still got burned on those routes. You know, Brian Keel's a guy that's a little better in coverage, I think, than Larry Grant. Didn't see much of him last week. I would probably I would probably rotate him in and I would be, you know, using him on the outside a little bit more. Now I think you know Diggs is a guy that's okay. He's probably the best of the outside linebackers. Um, I, you know, the absence of David Vabora kind of boggles me still a little bit. I don't understand. You know, he was a really strong against the run last year. Now the Rams obviously aren't having the problems in the run this year that they were in previous years, but I, I don't see why. You know, he's not in the mix a little bit more because those outside runs are burning the Rams just like those slot receivers and tight ends have been all year. Um, you know, I, I think there's some answers you can kind of you can kind of whittle away at the problem with what you've got on the roster, but it's you certainly can't solve it. I, and you know, you know, maybe the answer is is depending on the matchups is pulling up a corner or pulling. You know, they use the safeties in the up a little bit more, but you know maybe it's pulling a corner up into coverage. I don't know, 3K. I mean, to me, it's it's just something they're going to have to manage, and they're going to have to use guys like Keel and and Vibora a little bit more than they have been in those packages. Ah. But it's it's something that's going to it's going to bug them all season. I mean, I think it's going to be the it's the soft underbelly of the defense, and it's going to be all season. I mean, they just don't have an answer in house right now to completely take that out. You know? Sure. I mean, it, it, to me, it's probably the, the unit that is the most bereft of talent um, out of any, including wide receiver. Um, uh, I, the question is, and here's another thing that we I don't think anybody's really been talking about outside of wide receivers, is what free agents and how do we approach free agency this next year? There, there's going to be an opportunity now to build a team 
now that we've already got the core, to build those the team around the extra pieces that come into play, those late additions that cement us as a, as a playoff team, as a successful team. And free agency, obviously, as you look at any team that, that is able to be successful, free agency plays its part. It's going to be interesting to see whether it's defensive line, wide receiver, outside linebacker, those three main positions for me that I think will target in free agency, which one we pick moving ahead. Um, but, but obviously, you know, outside linebacker, when you talk about the names that we've got there, whether it's Keel Vibora, Chamberlain, Grant, or Diggs, that, that's, not a, that's not a group of outside linebackers that you really want to have going into a playoff game. No, it doesn't inspire a lot of confidence. And, and I think, you know, to me it's probably like a, it's more, I think for outside linebacker, you, the draft would be a great place to find or You know, you either find like a real stud like that that you could develop or maybe you find your Fred Robbins for that year. I mean, maybe that's where, a, you know, there is kind of that middle-tier free agent that can really make a big difference for you. And I don't know, free agency's all screwed up next year because of the CBA thing and uh, so it's hard to really kind of predict it at this point, but assuming all things normal, uh, to me that's the perfect spot to fill with free agents, uh, the perfect thing to go for in free agency, depending on who's out there, you know. But like I say, I, I think that, you know, you can get better linebackers without spending, you know, a lot of money like that. You can upgrade that position. You know, look, yeah, like I, I say, I think I it also the Fred the- Robbins move of this year. Yeah, and it depends on the kind of role you want him to play. The same way that we brought in Fred Robbins to be a big body and a space eater, it, it depends on what they want out of their outside linebackers. I think part of the problem is I don't really know, basically because it's it's always been the stopgap solution to fill that spot on the depth chart. I don't know what kind of outside linebacker we're trying to put at the same or what we're trying to put at the will. So I don't know, you know, what potential free agents make sense. Um, it's just one of those things that I know. I know we'll get it into. You know, we'll get into it deeper as we get approach the off season. But it's something that I know we haven't really spent a whole lot of time on it, between the two of us, or really on the site. No, absolutely. I mean, you know, we've talked so much about wide receiver and even draft. You know, in the draft, talked about wide receivers, but we still have yet to, uh, you know, dig into some of those other roster. And I'm not so sure. You know, we talk about Fred Robbins, but Fred Robbins is going to be another year older next year. And do we have the talent to play to play as well as we do without him? I mean, throwing it out there. I think the key for me is 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 2010 Fred Robbins an anomaly, or is this a resurgence that we can bank on? You know, he he looked at the end of his career with New York as if you know his career was tailing off, and that was the end of it. Um, I mean, I was I was having a conversation with Tevin T. Broner in the open thread, and he says, we have Fred for, Robbins for one more year, and that's true, we have him, but what does he have left in the tank? I think that's the question. And what, what do you expect him to do for the team next year, you know, a year older, and he's obviously not a young man. That, that's going to be a big question mark. I think I think it's one of those things that the Rams front office is going to have to identify the priority of positions they need to upgrade and you know, whether it's free agency or the draft, to figure out which guys they can get to fill those roles through free agency and then target the rest of them through the draft. But there's a, there's enough spots that we need to get, man. There's enough spots. And, you know, even with all that, we still haven't talked today at least, and I know you brought it up a couple weeks ago on Tertial Radio, interior offensive line, that's still an issue. Absolutely. It's a big issue. It's a big issue. I mean, I you know, those guys have played well, but, you know, Jacob Bell has – Stayed healthy so far this season, but he hasn't in his past few seasons. And his contract is, I can't tell you off the top of my head how many years he has left on it, but it's not a lot. Um, Goldberg, I think Goldberg's a great, solid 
offensive lineman, but I think, you know, he's probably not the guy you want to be your, continue to have as your starting right guard in there. And I think that's the, you know, you can really tell the difference in, on, on the good and bad side of the ledger of the Rams not having Richie Incognito in there. I mean, I think that's made a big difference for this team this year. Now, it's Certainly. made a difference probably you've got more so on the positive side of the ledger than you have on the, on the negative side of it, but that's a, that's a key thing for them there. Um, and, and, and that's, you know, that's another roster decision, 3K. I, I don't understand for the life of me is why John Greco's been inactive for the last two games after he and Goldberg had done so well in rotation at right guard. Now, Goldberg's a good I, pass blocker, but, you know, when you need to get that run game going up the middle, yeah, Greco's been the guy there. And, you know, that's a, that's another one of those guys that the Rams, I think, you know, that's a talent a talented guy that maybe he's not going to be your best all-pro starting guard, but, you know, he's a good enough guy that that's the kind of talent the Rams need to have on the roster, those cheap guys that can, I mean, cheap in terms of their contract cost, but that can come in and fill holes without, you know, putting a having to you know those bad memories of offensive lines pass where you've got guys off the street coming in and starting their first week on the team. And I was going to say, you know, in terms of Greco and even Bell, uh, what, what you're looking at, and to bring Goldberg into it, what you're looking at is a team and specifically a front office that is keen on building a pass-blocking line that can do enough in the run-blocking game as opposed to a team that can do both above average. Um when you're looking at a guy like Jacob Bell, he's not a very good run blocker. He can block well enough for the pass, as he's done this season, uh, and even last season when he was healthy. And, and like you said, Goldberg can get it done in the passing game. I, I don't see him as a very good run blocker at all. And even Greco, while he may be better, I don't think he's a great run blocker, but the key is they're not even playing him. And I think the reason why is they're more interested in maintaining Bradford uh, as a viable threat in the backfield with a pocket to operate out of as opposed to varying the strength of the line in both games, both the run and the passing game. And, and that's just what we've seen all season. You're trying to get a, a passing game that is built on two young tackles and Jason Smith and Saffold that just aren't yeah. going to be great run blocking guys. I think that's the kind of team we have. And, and if that's the issue, then, then moving forward, the question has to become, how do you operate with a guy like Steven Jackson out of the backfield? I know he's had the finger injury recently, but we even without it, before that, we weren't seeing a lot of him in the passing game. If this is going to be a passing offense, then a talent like Steven Jackson, who has had a history of being able to operate out of the backfield in the passing game, you've got to employ him more in that fashion. Hopefully when his finger gets at least closer to 100%, that's what we start seeing, if, that, if that's the way they understand this offense to be moving. Yeah, I, you know, that's an interesting, and that's probably a conversation for an, an entire episode in and of itself, but, you know, how the, the league's changing. I mean, you see the, the rise of the spread offense in college football, and, you know, we talked about it a lot last year when we were talking about how badly the Rams needed a quarterback, but, you know, this is a passing league now. I mean, three and four wide receiver sets are common. I mean, you remember the Rams with the greatest show days used to just surprise the hell out of opponents because – they were constantly running out of those three and four wide receiver sets. Well, now everybody does that. Everybody does. It's a passing league now. And the run game is kind of this, it's this tool, it's almost like it's a, just a tool to pass more. And so what do you see? I mean, you don't see those power runs in, in, anymore. Or, or teams where they're, I mean, you, obviously you see the runs up the middle with the Rams still, but you don't see that fullback running back combination as much as you used to. On the Rams and on teams all across the league. I mean, it's a, you know that's a that's 
part of the evolving nature of the game. And I'm not so sure. We can talk about whether we like it or dislike it, and there's an entire another conversation. But I mean, I'm not so sure that you wouldn't still have some effectiveness on that. But I guess you know you teams and general managers look at the roster spots a little more and, and what they want to do and and, and run that way. I, I don't know, 3K, what do you think? I, I mean, it's tough. It's tough to identify because you know they're they're working with limited talent right now, both in wide receivers and both out of the backfield to be able to spell Steven Jackson. So I don't really know what, what the intent is versus kind of what uh, Bernie Miklas wrote about uh, when he offered his own kind of mea culpa in terms of understanding what Shermer's trying to do with the offense. Is it what he wants to do in terms of how we've been running this offense for the past, what, season and a half? Or is it because he knows he's so limited in what he can do? This is what this is the best he can make out of the pieces he's got. I don't know. I think maybe this offseason is the first chance we'll really get to see in terms of understanding what they want to do. Um, before, these past two seasons, maybe you can say these past three seasons, it's been more about building the entire team over. And, you know, the term is rebuilding, but it's not just rebuilding the team. It's starting almost from scratch and trying to put pieces in place to get this team back up to competency. Now that we've gotten to this point, okay, now you have the benefit of saying you've got a core of young guys that you know you're going to be able to lean on at the key positions, tackles, you even got your strong running back, your quarterback, middle linebacker. You got a defensive end. You got cornerbacks to be able to defend the pass, especially deep and on the outside. Now that yeah. you've got that, how, how do you want to operate this offense with the role players, those guys that are going to be in, those specialists that are going to be able to get your first downs and third in third down situations, which Bradford has already proven he's able to do almost by himself, but also in terms of moving the ball on second down, that second down and six play. That that's where I think the stats really come to mind when you look at how ineffective we've been on second down. It's because that's the kind of play where you say, okay, you don't necessarily throw the play away, but the risk reward obviously favors the risk in that situation because you know, you can throw it away and still get something out of third down when you have the right system and the right guys there. In terms of how, how we want to manage the entire depth chart to, to fit that kind of bill it's going to be interesting because, you you know, do you, do you go after an offensive line? Do you go after that backup running back like we talked about? Do you upgrade wide receivers? I, I don't know, but I think this offseason is going to be the first sign of, of of what's to come. Yeah. Well, let's throw another wrinkle into the conversation real quick, 3K. I mean, I, you know, I, we've covered the Denver game a lot on the site. I mean, do you feel like there's anything more we need to add regarding the game today? You know, I don't – it's one of those games where Denver is such a – it's a confusing AFC team, and I know they're coming out of a, a conference that is obviously going to offer them challenges almost week in, week out, in a division that is really, really hard to predict. Um, I think the key for me is going to be not not just defensive line pressure, but how do you manage the blitzing issues? Because Orton is a, is a guy that if you give him time, and especially with, with a tool like Brandon Lloyd who's having his career year, if you give him time to operate, he's going to carve you up. But if you put the pressure on him like he's shown not only in Chicago before but in Denver, if you can get pressure on him, he's going to make mistakes. He, he I mean, they're running a risk-reward offense. So the key to me is going to be integrating blitz packages into four-man rushes and making sure that that four-man rush gets enough pressure that you're not relying on the blitz to try to get that, that quarterback, Kyle Orton, off his feet. It's going to be interesting yeah. to see how it works, but to me I think that's the key to managing the game because a couple turnovers here and there from Denver, and I really think we can put this one away. 
Well, and I think this too, it's going to come back to, I mean, I think you want to see a game plan, at least from the defensive side for the Rams, similar to what you saw against Seattle and against San Diego. You know, both teams, very effective quarterbacks. If they have the time, they're going to do some damage, especially, I mean, obviously, you know, you could put Rivers is one of the, you know, elite quarterbacks in the league right now. I mean, it's hard to argue against that point. But, you know, the Rams did a good job against, you know, neutralizing some of him. And then now there's a team that can pass and and throw the ball with the best of them. So I I think you're going to – similar game plan, similar thing to what we saw against those two teams. I I think that's got to be the prescription on the defensive side of the ball today. And just like just like Orton, Phillips can he, he can throw the ball downfield. If you give him enough time to work thirty yards down the field, they can get it done. It, it, where they That's really right. struggle is the short to intermediate game. And, and if you put the pressure on them to try to do things in that area where they're not comfortable and where they don't have enough time to develop that comfort, that's when they're going to make mistakes. So yeah, I, I really think that, that's, that's how we win the game on defense today. Yeah, and that plays in, and that's you know going back to how we how the Rams deal with kind of some of their weaknesses at outside linebacker. I think that's one way you do it. What about offense? What do you, what do you expect out of the offense today? I mean, I, we know it's going to be more of the same, but what does that mean today? <laughs> I think it's well. I mean, I think you're just going to see. I, you know, I, given that Denver has such a glaring weakness against the pass on defense. It seems to me like it's a good week to really kind of threaten that. Like we've seen in the one thing I think the Rams offense has done really successfully this year is to pass to set up the run. You know, you back all those guys up off the line. You take the, you kind of, you know, squeeze the eight men out of those eight men boxes, and you pass the ball because we know Bradford can pass the ball, whether it's dink and dunk or whatever you want to call it. You know, we know he can pass the ball. So I think you just kind of want to see him. Approach the game with that plan, you know. And then you start working in your carries for Steven Jackson. And and if the Rams get a lead, I think you're going to see a lot more work in the run game, you know, as they kind of go back to that strategy of we've got a lead. Now let's hold on to it with good ball control and possession and playing the possession game. Now I hope that if they're sitting on a three point lead heading into the third quarter or fourth quarter or even a seven point or ten point lead, I hope that they'll still you know, try to put some more points on the board and, and without, you know, getting too crazy with, with what they do on offense. But, um, you know, I think that's kind of what you're going to see today, 3K. I was going to say, that's been one of the issues in that second half is the running game. When, when you can't run to put the game away, or even when you're trying to establish a run that you haven't been able to establish in the first half to open up the passing game, that's one of the things that has contributed to St. Louis's second-half woes. And those are some... Those are some serious woes. That's woe like Black Rob woe. That's some. Uh, that, that may be one of the one of the biggest issues we've had to deal with all year is the second half difficulties in terms of the offensive movement. Um, I, I don't know. I really yeah. hope we don't have to deal with that again today because that, it's going to be painful to rehash if that's where we go on Monday. Yeah, and, and you know, I I'd really like to see the Rams. They've only scored scored more than two touchdowns once this season. That was against Washington back in was that week three or week four. Yeah, I think it's three. But that's the only time the Rams have scored more than two touchdowns in a game. Got to start seeing more scoring. And you don't have to run up the score. I mean, you know, you know, that's not a team that's going to get 50 points a game. But, you know, I, it, you're always going to be at the margins unless you can score three touchdowns in this league. 
Now, the, then the good news on that is the Broncos' defense is averaging 28-plus points a game allowed. So, yeah, hopefully that, that that's a good matchup for the Rams. I think the thing is, if you're looking at it in terms of trying to get to, you know, an explosion of points, the only place that I can see you coming from, and I, I, you know, you never can predict things in the NFL with any real certainty, but you got to say the only real threat that we have to be able to do it is Steven Jackson because he can do it in the run game, he can do it in the passing game, and he can even do it a bit down the field. It's gonna, it's gonna be tough to put a game like this on his back, knowing that he's had the injuries and he hasn't had the opportunity to get the ball as much as he had earlier in his career. Maybe today's that he gets it back on track. Uh, it would be a good day to do it because, uh, you know, it would be nice to see it. I think that will get the fans into it. It will get the, you know, put – when the Rams are using Steven Jackson like that and if, and, and he's running effectively, there's not much they can't do, even with the, you know, the personnel they have outside of Steven Jackson on the offense. So that will be a good sign. If you see Steven Jackson working, hitting his holes, hitting his routes, all that stuff, I think you're going to see the Rams have a pretty good day today. But then again, I feel like that's almost overstating the obvious. I was going to say, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. I think I think one of those keys is going to be, like you said, when Steven Jackson is hitting those holes, it's giving him those holes to, to hit. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And you know, using him out of those, using him out of the spread formation too. I mean, he's, you know, you mentioned Nicholas Column. Well, that's one thing he pointed out somewhere recently was that how effective Jackson was. You know when the Rams did run out of three, did run him out of three and four wide receivers, did run out of the, did call run out of the shotgun, and and do some of those reverses and things. I, you know, that's the if it's working, use it because that's what you know. You've got a quarterback now that defenses have to at least respect, even if you don't have the receivers that merit, you know, constant double teaming and attention. But you know they've got a quarterback that the defenses have to be aware of and have to game plan for. So. You know, by all means, take advantage of that. It's nice to have an offense that can work on more than one level for a change. Sure, and it's not like, you know, Denver has an incredible front seven. I mean, Jamal Williams came over from San Diego. He's a very nice nose tackle. But their defensive ends, I know one of them is Kevin Vickerson, uh, Justin Bannon. Justin Bannon works the other side. He works the right side. I mean, that's not an incredible group of three, four, you know, attackers. It's not like what we saw even Arizona, whose front three I really like. But they're linebackers. You got guys like DJ Williams, Robert Ayers, who came out of Tennessee, uh, Wesley Woodyard, Mario Hagan. It's not a huge. It's not Pittsburgh. You know, it's not a. It's not a three-four no. that's really going to be able to stop you if you can get at them and attack them in that area and avoid kind of the, the cornerbacks because they've got some solid cornerbacks. Obviously, everybody knows Champ Bailey, but I really like Parrish Cox. He came out of Oklahoma State. He's had a decent first season. Sid Quan Thompson is down there on the depth chart. You've got Andre Goodman on the other side. They can do some things at the mm-hmm. cornerback position. I really think the linebackers is where they've gotten carved up, and that's why they're allowing the kind of running yards they have. Yeah, absolutely. That's a um... – you know, and it's not the toughest. You know, it's not the Rams have seen tougher defenses this year, much tougher. Atlanta, Seattle, when sure. Seattle came to town, was one of the top defenses in the league. You know, that was before they lost Colin Cole and Red Bryant. But you know, San Diego always has a good defense. They haven't. They've had a good defense this year. Now it's been inconsistent, and I think that's you know some of the better defenses that the Rams have beaten this year have been inconsistent units. But the Denver Denver does not have a good defense overall. Some talent there, yes, but it's not, you know, it's not like Atlanta where they can just, you know, you can claim that the Rams are going to lose this game just sheerly based on talent alone. Agreed. So, 
We'll see. 3K, it's almost time. Let's We're going to head into bonus round here. And bonus round means draft round. Am I right? Hey, you know, every round is draft round for me, man. That's that's true. That's true. You mentioned Parrish Cox, rookie cornerback. You know, one thing that keeps coming to mind for me is how it seems like this has been a good year for rookie cornerbacks. It, it, it was a deep draft. There was a lot of good corners that came out. Um, I, I think another thing you're seeing is that teams are understanding what kind of cornerbacks they need. You know, there was a time when it, almost everybody either wanted to get just speed guys or the full shutdown corner. You look at guys like Ron Bartell and Bradley Fletcher, I don't think anybody would say they're shutdown corners, but they're definitely fitting the kind of physical secondary that, that obviously the, this coaching staff wants to put together, and it's working. The more, the more and more people draft to their system, the more successful you'll have guys across the league be at their positions. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and there's another rookie, the Vernier in Tennessee. Um, he's I mean, what a phenomenal season that guy's having. He's a rookie. I mean, you know, Sug gets all the headlines on defense for defensive rookies, as you know, as well he should. He's had him in quite a season. But I mean, that that Tennessee cornerback. I mean, he's been a, he's been a hell of a cornerback for a rookie too. And you kind of always assume that. You know, that's a tough position. There's a lot of ins and outs and, and nuances to it. It's not an easy one to just kind of step in as a rookie and, bam, you know, be playing at that kind of level. But, you yeah. know, like you say, teams are drafting guys for talented guys that fit their system, and it's paying dividends. And that's the thing. Alteron Werner, who you're talking about, he went in the fourth round, and he's, he's yeah. 5'10", 187. He's not a big guy. He's not going to play your shutdown corner mode. But you can work them into a system, and, ten, and, you know, Tennessee knows what they're doing in the pass defense. Their pass defense is one of my favorites in the league. When you have a guy that can fit his role, and it's almost a secondary corner role because you've got a guy like Cortland Finnegan on the other side, you don't need him to be a world beater. And that, that's one of the things that the good teams are getting really good at is making the most out of those third, fourth, and even second and fifth round. From second to the fifth round, if you can get the guys that play their role in the right kind of system, you're going to be a successful team. If you're trying to hit home runs, you're going to miss too often in those rounds. And, and I think that's where a lot of people get in trouble. Um, but at the same time, you, you can't be completely system-driven in the draft. That's the kind of thing that, you know, pushes you to get a guy like Joe Kloppenstein, Brian Leonard too early in the draft. You can't be system-only. And that's that's one of those debates that everybody always have is need versus BPA. But to me, the the question isn't almost need versus best player. It's do you go for the, the kind of prototype that you would like to have or the kind of role player that you need to have? And, and that's, that's a great debate that, that's worth having any day, not just on Tertial Radio. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, we've got we've obviously got some time to go before we get before the draft rolls around and uh, and players start declaring. But uh, what's the position? What's this year's position that's going to be a, the 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 deep one for for teams for 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 talent in the 2011 NFL draft? That's a tough one to say. You know, I, I know there was that piece at SB Nation that looked at wide receivers and cornerbacks. If I had to pick one right now, I know this is going to be kind of wacky, but I really think it's going to be outside tackle. I don't think you're going to get the premier outside tackles that you've gotten, but the kinds of rotational guys that you're going to be able to get, and even interior line, are as good this year as I think we've seen in a long time. 
you're not going to go out and get your, you know, franchise left tackle. There may be a couple of them out there. But if you look at, you know, even the center position, you've got what what seems to be everyday starters out of the top four. For me, that's Wisniewski out of Penn State, Chris O'Dowd a center, Kevin Kowalski out of Toledo, and, and then Brandon Fusco out of the Slippery Rock. The more and more I hear about this guy, the more is everybody saying he's an NFL center. I never heard of him before this season. But everything I read about him, and again, it's Brandon Fusco, but everything I read about him says this guy's ready to go. Um, guard, obviously, you know, we talk about the big ones. You've got Pouncey, you've got Rodney Hudson, you've got Orlando Franklin at Miami. But even if you go down the list to fill out like a top ten, Justin Bourne out of Ohio State, Clint Bowling out of Georgia, John Moffitt out of Wisconsin, these are all guys that are going to play, you know, 315, 320 at the NFL level. And then you throw in guys like Benjamin Igelana out of Villanova, um, and I dare you to start trying to get that name together, Van. That, that's a guy that can come in. At, at, he's 6'4", 320, great hands, good arm length, plays from the bottom of his body. Those are the kind of guards that you need every day in the NFL. And yeah. it seems like a really, really, really deep draft for interior linemen and even at the tackle position for depth. Well, that's good for the Rams because that's, I mean, you know, I, you can never have enough depth on the offensive line. and. And the Rams need interior linemen. I mean, you know, one reason I going back to we talked about Greco a little earlier, and it just kind of it just popped into my head. But you know, one uh, re, the Spagnolio said in a press conference one reason that they had um, Greco inactive was so that they could activate Hank Fraley the last couple of games because they were more concerned about the need for a backup center than they were a backup guard. Fraley being the only guy on the team that you know that, that's a true backup center. Right. Which should strike fear into the hearts of listeners if they hear me say that. So that's you know that's a need, and uh, you know Sederstrom was a guy in the past that could play you know do both positions fairly well, good enough to be a competent starter at guard and then a competent backup at center. But you know once again Sederstrom hit IR this year, and, and you know he's done. So the Rams need to find a guy like that to replace him on the line. It's not a sexy first first round draft pick, but it's a it's a big need that the Rams have, and that's the kind of stuff you're getting say, into now with, with the team needs is is that sort of thing. Sure, and, you know, interior linemen are never going to be sexy picks, but they're as necessary as almost anything for a comprehensive offense. That's why you see guys that are starting to pull, you know, whether it's Mike Yapati or Pouncey in the 2010 draft, people are starting to value those interior linemen more than they have in the past. I, I, don't, I don't expect that to go away, especially with the kinds of talent that's going to come out over the next two years. No, and you look at how many teams in the last three years have taken offensive tackles in the first round, and you just, you know, and then what we talked about earlier with the how good defensive tackles are and defensive linemen in general are now, it's, uh, you know, those are, it's not, those guys have a lot more role to play than just opening up running lanes. So they have tough matchups to play every game. They're, you know, protecting investments in the quarter that the teams have made in quarterbacks and running backs and skill positions like that. It's a, you know, what was it a a few years ago when it was 2003 when Steve Hutchinson went away went to Minnesota and signed that massive contract for a free agent sure. guard. And then sure. a few years later, you had the same year we signed Jacob Bell. It was 2008. You had Fanica sign that big deal with the New York Jets, and then you know that was kind of the start of the the high priced guard market. Yeah, I think teams are starting to recognize that you can't just have the starters. You've got to have enough depth at the position because you know guys are going to go down. Offensive linemen get hurt. And if you're putting too much stock into one or two guys, whether it's a tackle here, a guard there, or even your your starting center, 
chances are over the course of his career he's going to miss enough time that if you don't have the depth, it's going to be money that doesn't make sense. You've got to get Mm -hmm. a lot of names, a lot of bodies, and enough talent on the offensive line to make the most out of the rest of your offense. Absolutely. Absolutely. 3K was a good weekend for college football. Am I right? It was crazy with a with an extra K, a capital K hyphen crazy. It was wild, man. <laughs> I don't I don't know how many of those weekends I can take as a college football fan. Whew. I you know, I, and I kind of turned away from that Alabama Auburn game, thinking, ah, this is ridiculous. After Alabama put up twenty four points, you know, without blinking an eye, it seemed, and and then lo and behold, you come. I came back a little bit later. I couldn't believe what I saw. It That's wasn't a, a big that, It was just was a hell of a game. game. <laughs> <laughs> I think you have Arkansas-LSU last night, and you got the Boise State game, obviously. Boise State-Nevada. That's sure. Uh, well, what about the game of the weekend, man? North Texas-Kansas State. Yeah, that's true. It, it was an eight-point, and, you know, nobody knows anything about North Texas, and hopefully you don't. We lost, North Texas lost by eight to Kansas State. It was the most explosive rushing game I've ever seen. I think total there was like 660 yards rushing. Daniel Thomas for Kansas State, who's going to come to the league, ran for 269 and two touchdowns. And then Lance Dunbar for North Texas ran for 270 and three. It was, it was silly. It was silly to see that kind of a football game. It was almost old school football, that kind of, you know, couple yards in the dust kind of running game. But uh-huh. It was that kind of a weekend in college football where things didn't make sense almost from beginning to end. And, we, you know, Boise State, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, it was just crazy. Yeah. I forgot all about the Oklahoma game. That's right. My God, that was a lot of – there was a lot of talent on display too, 3K. There was tons. Tons of talent. A lot of future talent. I read on Twitter during the Alabama game somebody uh, that – was Jeff Gordon with the Post-Dispatch made a comment about, um, all right, I'm – I can't wait to see all the we need Julio Jones comments in the live game thread tomorrow. I can and, play. you know, you see Julio Jones. <laughs> well, you know, there's a reason people are going to say that. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing. I started – some guys you can see it real early, and he's one of the kinds of guys that you can see it. I started dropping his name in the 2008 season, you know, at, at Tertial Time. Mm-hmm. He, he's just one of those guys that – He's got the natural athletic talent, and he was able to craft his career together around his talent, and he's gotten better every year. Now, last year, obviously, if you look at the stats, it doesn't say as much, but he was playing injured the entire season. And that's why he's able to come back in a year like this when he's healthy and do it against just about everybody, including Patrick Peterson, my favorite cornerback in college, who plays at LSU. I mean, Julio Jones is who he is. He's not a guy that you want to send on fly routes and throw the ball up to him 40 yards down the field. But he can do just about anything from 10 to 20 yards downfield at any area against almost anybody. He's, mm-hmm. I mean, he, he's as good as I've seen in that kind of intermediate game in a long, long time. Let me ask you about Peterson. Now, your cornerback's probably not high on the list of Rams draft needs since they've drafted – a third-round cornerback. One is a starter now, but since they've made two third-round picks at cornerback. But, you know, one thing in watching that LSU-Arkansas game last year, or last night, pardon me, was watching Peterson on those returns. Now, part of that I understand is just the wild nature of college special teams and how wildly inconsistent they are. But, my God, it seemed like every time he got the ball, and I don't know why Arkansas kept kicking it to him, but every time he got the ball, he got 40 or 50 yards out of it. 
he's he's electric. And the thing is, you know, until this season, nobody could see how electric he was with the ball. And, and it's because of his natural athleticism. He got speed. He's got acceleration. And obviously, as a cornerback, he's got the kind of vision as a top cornerback. He's got the vision to understand what's going on, you know, with the defense at all times. Now he's applying that to special teams when he's got the ball. And like you say, I mean, it's all, it's almost unbelievable how, how easily he's translated that that part of his game in, in, into a successful area. And yeah, you know, it, it's one of those like things that's going to add to its value. It's, I was just going to say, it's hard to understand how you can add value being a potential top ten pick in the in the likely number one overall cornerback. But it's just something else that that he's added to the resume. Uh, it's amazing, and you know, you can certainly see why he's that kind of talent. But that did bring up something else. Look, I kept thinking about it. You know, the Rams the Rams need a kick return guy. I mean, Amendola's been fine, but, I, you know, to me, Amendola's role lies in his, what he does as a slot receiver, not as a kick kick returner. Um, and, and obviously the Rams aren't going to draft Patrick Peterson in the first round or in a top ten pick because they're probably not going to have a top ten pick. But, um, you know, that's another position we got to start thinking about for this team next year. Finding a guy that can kind of do double duty where, you know, they, the Rams have a real serious threat as a kick returner. Sure. Even though almost you can say that he approaches, you know, the kick return and punt return game the same way he does the wide receiver game. Short and simple and take what's given to you, you know. He, he's mm-hmm. not going to get you 40 yards down the field in the wide receiving game. He's not going to get you 40 yards in the return game. But he's not going to mess up an eight-yard return or an eight-yard slant. That, that's what he does. He's got great quickness, good footwork, and he's got the simple vision to take what's in front of him. If you're looking for a home run hitter in the returning game, you've almost got to get the same kind of idea as home run hitters that approach the receiving game. It's not going to happen every time, and a lot of times you're going to be asking, why did he try to switch the field and lose eight yards? And the reason why is because when it works and when that guy hits his, his final gear, that fifth, you know, that overdrive, he's going to kick it in and nobody's going to catch him. It, it depends on who we want, you know, what kind of a role we want, and if we want to keep throwing Amendola out there to – to throw him out to the wolves because we've seen him take some hits. But uh, if we can get a guy that, that's a home run threat, yeah, that certainly makes sense in terms of a, a an extra, you know, an extra mile that we can go as a team. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Three K, we've we've uh, we've got quite we've put add a little nice uh, chapter two to the to this edition, yeah, of, a special Sunday edition to... of Turf Show Radio. I don't know if we've ever talked about returning duties, man. We may, I may have to do some research in terms of my potential return men to draft, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth round. Absolutely. Throw that in the mix. Absolutely. <laughs> but that's, you know what, that's just the level of depth you get at Turf Show Times. Am I right, 3K? It is right, man. And, and that's the key. It's Turf Show Times. It's not just me. we got plenty of people who follow the draft and understand what's going on. So I, I don't right. want people Absolutely. to think that the – the draft talk at, at, at Tertial Time starts and ends with 3K. I'm just part. I'm just part of the crew that's throwing it out there every day, man. Amen, brother. Amen. 3K. Should we wrap it up here and then and, and head off and catch what's left of the noon games and then might as well hunker down for a little for a little Rams action, Rams Denver action. Is it, is it is it absolute bloody hour countdown? I don't know what absolute bloody hour is over at SBNA. I don't know what it is. It's got something to do with. Here's what I was told. It's got something to do with injuries, um, players that matter, something like that. It seems like we've got an awful lot of sponsorships this year for the injuries. 
Now, I was say, of course, that had to happen in a year where the Rams don't have the injuries that they usually have, but such is life. It's just like when I'm having absolute Bloody Marys, man. Somebody's been injured, and something matters all of a sudden. You know, that's the way it works with absolute Bloody Marys. Who's hurt? <laughs> I'm about and to what, see what matters all of a sudden. That's right. I'm about to spend some. I'm I'm going to drop off here and go head out for some extended family time, and and I wish. I only wish the person who made the Bloody Marys would switch to Absolute or something better than Pop-Off. That's all I ask. Oh, no. Oh, I man. I hate being asleep by halftime. <laughs> you have you have my sympathies for the day, my friend. That's painful. <laughs> it's brutal, but the rest of it is so – the rest of the mix is so good that you just – you can't imagine. It's like if you're going to all this trouble to be, use Beef Amato and – all this other <laughs> great ingredients in there. It's like, why are you cheaping out on the vodka, man? I don't know. That's sad. That's sad to hear, but that's where we are as a country these days, I guess. That's recessionomics, baby. Recessionomics. <laughs> 3K, I am going to go enjoy the recession and eat some chips, drink some beer, and watch some football. How about you? I'm going to commiserate for my friend who's forced to drink vodka that comes out of a plastic bottle. That's right. Forced, I know, but, you know, I could say no, but then again, I can't. You so won't. That's just the way it is. You won't. I won't. I won't. I refuse. That's my line in the sand right there. Well, there you go. That's what the Rams got to say today in about an hour, 40 minutes. They refuse. Amen. We're not going to budge. We're not going to bend. We're not going to break. We're going to win this game. We're going to roll up this division. We're going to head into Seattle in week 17 and get the win. And that's going to be a hell of a season, 3K. It would be. Let's get it. Let's get it done. Let's do it. 3K, as always, it's been good. It's been another great edition of Turf Show Radio. We return to normal hours, normal business operating hours next Saturday. Same time, same place. 3K, last thoughts. Go Rams. Talk to everybody later. It's so hot outside. Time to go bowling. Stay cool at Bolero. With air-conditioned lanes, ice-cold beer, and a striking selection of signature cocktails. Roll in, chill out, and have fun. Visit Bolero.com for hours and weekly specials. Hey everybody, it's Neil Patel, Editor-in-Chief of The Verge. I host a podcast every week called The Vergecast with my friends Paul Miller and Dieter Bone. We've got a rotating cast of characters from our entire site, which is about technology, how it impacts culture, and how that is all a big cycle that causes us to have a wide variety of feelings that you can listen to every Friday. We've done over 300 episodes in the six years since The Verge has been around, but you only need to listen to one, the latest one, to get caught up on everything in tech news. Vergecast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else. Also, you listen to podcasts, check it out.